Hello, and welcome to the sermons of Our Savior, Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. Today is the first Sunday in Lent, also called Invocavit. Our Holy Gospel comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, You will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. This is the word of the Lord. Our sermon was recorded previously at our divine service. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Immediately after our Lord Jesus Christ was baptized in the River Jordan by John, he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This was the Father's will. Our Lord Jesus did not end up in the wilderness to be tempted by accident. For he came to be our substitute. He came to share in our flesh, to be tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. So that in all things he would be perfectly conformed to the will of God and be perfectly obedient. Both actively in fulfilling the law and not sinning, but also passively in suffering on our behalf. And in this time of testing, our Lord overcomes the devil and does what both Adam and the nation of Israel are not able to do. First, we will see how in the temptation in the wilderness, our Lord Jesus Christ, as the second Adam, overcomes where the first failed. As our Old Testament lesson demonstrates for us this morning, we see how in Adam's fall, not only did Adam fall, not only did Eve fall, but all mankind fell as well. As the church rightly sings, and as we sang this morning, all mankind fell in Adam's fall. One common sin infects us all. From one to all, the curse extends, and over all, God's wrath impends. But not only did this fall affect Adam's descendants, but it affected all creation, so that the earth Plants and animals fell from their perfect state as sin and death spread throughout creation. And so let us look at the details of the temptations. Our forefather, Adam, was tempted by Satan to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was in the midst of the garden. God had said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. The garden was filled with every kind of good food, and they were able to eat. There was abundance. They always had food to eat as a reward for their labor. 
They would never be hungry. All that they would need, God provided for them through the plants of the garden. Yet in the midst of all of their prosperity and abundance, they fell. The serpent deceived Eve, and rather than continuing to be content with the food which God had provided for them, she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. In the midst of all of the fruits of the garden, they desired that fruit which God had forbid. And so Eve took the fruit and gave some to Adam, who was there with her, and they ate and fell in the midst of plenty. And pay attention. The serpent tempts Eve throughout the account in Genesis, speaking with her. Yet I've been talking about Adam and his fall, how he failed in the garden, surrounded by abundance. Why say that if Satan was tempting and speaking to Eve? Because as Moses wrote for us, she also gave some of the fruit to her husband, who was with her. Adam was not so far away from Eve that he did not know what was happening. Adam was there with her. When Satan lied to Eve, Adam did not correct him or confront him. Adam did not fight for or defend his bride with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, saying, No, the Lord said you shall not eat of that, and that's all. Be gone. Instead, he was quiet and left his bride, who was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, to be tempted by Satan alone, and even while he was right there. Eve was deceived, but Adam was complicit and more culpable because he was there and not deceived, but went along with it anyway, fully knowing that it was against what God had said. As St. Paul wrote, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became transgressor. Yes, Adam knew what was happening when he went along with Eve instead of protecting her. Our Lord, then, corrects both of these errors of our first father, and by his work creates a new humanity, being the second Adam who was able to succeed where the first Adam failed. First, see how much graver our Lord's surroundings were. Adam was surrounded by bounty. Our Lord was in the wilderness. And not only that, his temptation occurred in the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, a feat not possible for anyone except by the intervention of God. Yet emaciated and weak, surrounded not by abundance of fruit trees, but by stones and shrubs, he resists the devil's temptation, where Adam did not. When Satan tempted our Lord Jesus, he did not ignore him, he did not stand quiet, he does not allow Satan to attack and overcome his bride, the church, but he fought on her behalf, doing battle for us as a champion against our ancient foe, wielding the sword of the Spirit against him. Every time the devil tempted our Lord to abandon his humility, to use his full powers of divinity, to abandon the path that God the Father had set before him, and take what might be seen as the easy way out, he counters the attacks of Satan with the word of God. While Adam abandoned his responsibility to defend his bride and did not counter the attacks of the devil, 
our Lord defended his bride at the church, perfectly keeping the commands of God, perfectly protecting his bride, and using the word effectively while keeping it. Here he overcomes where Adam falls. Where Adam's failure brought death, our Lord, the second Adam, brought life. Those who have faith in him are so incorporated into him as he makes his home in us and is united to us by faith. We are thus made part of the new humanity, which our Lord has begun. He is the firstborn of the new creation by his resurrection from the dead, after defeating sin, death, and the devil upon the cross by dying for the sin of Adam and all his descendants. He is the firstborn among many brothers, St. Paul says, showing how we who believe in him are part of this new creation, which we now experience in part, but will experience in full in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And just as our Lord overcame where Adam fell, so too he succeeded where, as the new Israel, where Israel of old had failed. We see this clearly as we look at each of the three temptations and see how Jesus fulfilled the law where they did not. The temptations which our Lord faced after fasting 40 days and 40 nights and was hungry. Then the devil came to tempt him to turn stones into bread so that he might eat and satisfy his hunger. In response to this temptation, our Lord said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 8, where Moses is speaking to Israel before they entered the Promised Land, reminding them of all that they had gone through in the wilderness. You shall remember the whole way of the Lord your God, as he has led you through these forty years through the wilderness, Moses said, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The people were being tested in the wilderness. In the 40 years that Israel was in the wilderness, God provided for their every need. He led them through the wilderness rather than through inhabited places so that they would rely on him. He did, and he did provide, giving them food by manna and quail and water from the rock. Even their clothes did not wear out in those 40 years. Yet, despite his provision for them, they did not obey God, but instead grumbled against him, complained against him, and longed after the land of slavery from which they had been delivered. Our Lord, on the other hand, was in the wilderness for 40 days with no food, no water. All he could rely on was his heavenly Father. He was humbled, taking on the form of a servant. He was brought low being hungry in the wilderness, and in the time of testing, his heart was proved true as he fully trusted in his heavenly Father and demonstrated that he would keep his commandments. He knew that after the time of testing there would be food. He trusted in his heavenly Father and the word which he had given him, 
thus standing where Israel fell. The second test and temptation which our Lord faced and wherein he succeeded when Israel failed was about patience and testing the Lord. After the Lord Jesus rebuffed Satan with the word of God, Satan returned to his earliest trick and sought to twist the word of God in turn, saying, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. These promises certainly apply to the Lord Jesus as the anointed one of God, just as the promises which God gave Israel about having about being with them and going with them wherever they went, as he was their God and they were his chosen people. Yet it is possible to put God to the test regarding his promises. For example, in the wilderness, when they were at the border of the promised land the first time, they sent 12 spies into the land. Two were faithful, named Caleb and Joshua, while the rest did not trust the Lord, and they did not think that he could bring them into the land safely. They saw the dangers, and they convinced the people not to go. In response, God told them that they would spend 40 years in the wilderness for not trusting him, until all of that generation who could not, who could not trust him and who would not go into the land would die in the wilderness. When they heard that, well, then they all of a sudden couldn't wait. Then they said, we trust God. He promises to go with us. Let us go in and fight. He will drive the people away from us before us. He had promised them that, but he had promised them that only if they would obey his voice in the case of spying out the land. So when some went on, God was not with them, and they were defeated after putting God to the test. Our Lord knew that angels would attend him, even as he told Peter at his arrest in the garden, Do you not think that I can appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? Yet our Lord Jesus knew that he would not have angels attending him at all times, for it was God's will that he would be our substitute. In order to do that, he would need to be incarnate and live as a man, not making use of his divine powers at all times. And so he trusted in his Father that there would be times when his Father would send angels to minister to him, such as after the temptation and during his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He did not test his Father, but trusted in him that he would provide for him. And so he replied to Satan again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Thus, he speaks God's law to Satan, and not only does he speak this command, but he doesn't. Finally, there is the last temptation. Here, Satan's mask is gone, and he shows himself for who he really is. His pride and his desire to be God, to be worshipped as God, is shown by offering to Jesus what really isn't even his own to offer him. For as God, Jesus already possesses all of the kingdoms of the earth. Yet Satan says, all of the kingdoms of the world, in their glory I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. This temptation Israel also faced in the wilderness and also failed. 
after God spoke to all of Israel from the heavens and gave them the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Law of the Covenant, and after the covenant was confirmed, Israel said, Do not let God speak to us again, for it is frightening. And so God called Moses alone up into the cloud on the mountain in order to give him the instructions for the tabernacle. This time of instruction took, you guessed it, 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time, Israel was afraid that Moses had died, and so fell into idolatry, making a golden calf and worshipping it as the Savior that brought them from Egypt. The Lord Jesus, however, would not fall to the same temptation. He refuses to entertain this notion, knowing that God is the true ruler of all, in possession of all, and that he and his ways are sufficient. His way is the way of self-denial and the way of self-giving. His way will involve Jesus perfectly keeping the law, including the first commandment, and suffering in our place on the cross. Then, after his resurrection, according to his human nature, he will then receive all power and authority from the Father, which is already his according to his divine nature. Thus, Jesus says to Satan, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. With this he casts Satan away from him, having succeeded where Israel failed, and having overcome Satan with the word of God. And having overcome Satan's attacks in the wilderness, our Lord finally defeats him through his death on the cross, and demonstrates the powerful effects of that defeat through his glorious resurrection. And so Satan is to us a defeated enemy, and that is how we must think of him. There are many popular thoughts about the devil in our culture which we may be tempted to believe or have picked up just by fact of being in our culture. But let us be clear, the devil is not God's polar and equal opposite. He is not all-knowing. He cannot read your mind. He himself is not everywhere. He is not all-powerful. He is a creature, an angel, and has the limitations of a creature. And he has been defeated by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us not give the devil or his demons any more than they deserve. Christ has defeated them, and Christ is with his people and comes to our aid when we call upon him. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, we are also saying, deliver us from the evil one. We will be well prepared for our spiritual warfare when under the attacks of the devil, when we remember that we have the word of God and prayer. But let us also not make the opposite mistake, which is also prevalent in our culture, and believe that the devil is mischievous, misunderstood, and really harmless, maybe not even real. No, this certainly isn't the case either. Yes, he is our defeated enemy, but that also means we must realize that he is also our enemy. He is defeated, and so he's enraged. He and his demons prowl around like roaring lions, looking for someone to devour. In the Revelation, St. John saw a vision of the dragon, who, unable to snatch away and kill the divine child, wages war against God's adopted children. 
the church. And so we too must not do anything which opens us up to their attacks, such as using divination and crystals, horoscopes, psychics, and mediums, or partaking in the rituals of false religions. While he is defeated, he is not nothing. Rather, he is a strong enemy to be resisted, for he desires for us to die in our sins without faith in Christ. But we must always remember, brothers and sisters, that we're not alone in this. Our Lord, just as he overcame Satan in the wilderness, will fight for his bride, the church. He is still our champion and our defender. Christ is our hope. He overcame Satan in his temptation because we are too weak to always overcome temptations, but we do fall. He has defeated Satan because Adam could not, and because we cannot. He has won forgiveness for us so that when we fall and return to him in repentance and faith, he is gracious and merciful to forgive us our sins. He is our hope because he has done what we could not, what Adam did not, and what Israel did not, so that by faith in him our sins are forgiven. We are made a part of the new humanity in Christ Jesus with him as the head, and we are members of the spiritual Israel, which is the church. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.